Exodus 20, beginning at verse 1, on page 61 of the Pew Bible. And this is the word of God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word, and we thank him for it. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 11, and is just a few verses from the end. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your invitation. We thank you that we can come. We thank you that we come to find rest in Christ. Lord, please bless your word to us this morning. Give us open ears to hear the invitation that Christ is making. In his name we pray. Amen. If I asked you how you found Christmas, what would you say? Stressful? A few nodding heads. Wondering why on earth you spent 20 minutes peeling half a million Brussels sprouts when all but two ended up in the brown bin? No? Just me? Okay. Confused how a turkey could both be burned on the outside and yet pink in the middle. That's why my brother Stephen and Olivia cooked this morning, or cooked this year. Dad and I supervised. Christmas can bring an awful lot of mixed emotions for many of us. One of the reasons for that, if you believe any of the psych uh, psychology researchers, is it's what's called a meta-emotion. It's feeling Christmassy. 
It's a real complex mix of memories from childhood or pivotal events from our own families, fueled by a constant stream of triggers like the smell of Christmas dinner, the sound of particular songs, stimulants like lights in the shops that give us a lot of fire in our nostalgia. It's so real that you can indeed feel it in your fingers, you might even feel it in your toes, because Christmas is all around us, and so the feeling grows. But so much of that Christmas feeling depends very much on the culture on which we grew up in. It's very easy to get an image in our mind of what that perfect Christmas looks like, and it probably has a little bit more in common with Christmas movies than reality. What would Christmas be without Elf, It's a Wonderful Life, and Die Hard? Christmas does indeed bring us an awful lot of pressure. We want the perfect Christmas, the perfect dinner, the perfect family, the perfect holiday, and the perfect photos to prove it. But folks, the quest for perfection doesn't end after Christmas. That kind of pressure, it just changes. We go back to the so-called normal pressures. Pressure to be the perfect son. Pressure to be the perfect daughter. The perfect father, perfect mother, husband, wife, student, teacher, boss, employee. The stress of Christmas is barely finished before we see the constant stream of adverts telling us what is wrong with us and what we can do to fix it. And the good news for that is that whatever company is advertising what is wrong with us, very conveniently, is selling us the solution. Perfection is a purchase or a monthly subscription away. Of course, we know that that's not true but so many of us get sucked in. A plan for perfection. And very sadly, that is the way that many Christians approach the new year. 2020 will finally be the year that I read through the whole Bible using that plan that I've been using since 1920. 2020 will be the year that I pray every morning for two hours at 6 a.m. before I go to the gym. We end up with that kind of picture in our mind of what it means to be the perfect Christian, which may actually seem doable until our Bible reading plan falls apart in Leviticus, and when we end up using our faith to beat ourselves up over with, because it's another thing that we fail at. But folks, as we approach a new year, have you ever thought of the Christian faith like this? Sure, you may not have had the perfect Christ uh, Christmas. You may not have the perfect marriage. You may not have the perfect children. You may not be the perfect child. You may not have had a perfect 2019. And you may not have a perfect Bible reading schedule. But... If your faith is in Christ Jesus, you do have the perfect relationship with God our Father. 
If your faith is in Christ, you have the perfect relationship with God, your Father. But if you grew up inside or even outside the church, it's really easy to fall into the trap of thinking, that's not quite true. Because instead we think Christianity is more about how we feel, more about what we do, and more about how we're seen while we do it. Are you wearing your Sunday best today? I think most people are. Did you get an early night last night? After a full week of 6 a.m. quiet times? Well, there's good news for anyone who didn't quite hit that mark this week. Have you come today and you're not wearing your Armani suit? That's okay. It's not a date. Have you come to church after realizing again that you only read your Bible three times this week? It's okay. You will hear the word read, sung, and preached. Folks, how do you think, how do you see your relationship with God? Is it something like, well, I better dress up and smile so God likes me? Because if God knew who I really was, God wouldn't touch me with a barge pole. Or even worse, do you think, well, I dressed up and I smiled today, so God must like me? Folks, be in absolutely no doubt, God knows that we stink. God is God. God knows the worst of us. God's not impressed by designer suits or shoes. A sinner wearing a good suit or a good dress, still a sinner. Yet we know that Christians should indeed read our Bibles, and we should pray. But don't think that it's that that puts you into a right relationship with God. We so quickly think that Christianity is what we see around us. It's our culture. And the longer that we see the same things around us, we start to really begin to think that what we're surrounded by is what it means to be a Christian. By nature, we tend to copy those around us. That is how culture works. We see other people doing stuff, and we join in. I'm pretty sure it never occurred to anybody here independently to take a tree and stick it in their house and decorate it in lights. It's something that our parents did, that our neighbors did, and we joined in. That's where we get Christmas traditions. Culture can be terrific. Learning about new cultures and traditions is wonderful. But culture within a church context can really be a two-edged sword. Because just ask yourself, why do we do things this way? Well, there's two answers to that. It's either because Scripture says we do things this way, or because that's the way that we've always done them. 
If we do something because it's what Scripture says, there's no debate. If the reason that we do things because it's always the way that we've done them, that's really a marker of a cultural tradition. But have you ever asked what kind of culture Eden Grove has? What kind of culture she's building? Is it one that's regulated by Scripture? Or is it one that's regulated by our own traditions? Scripture says that we sing psalms, so we sing psalms. It doesn't say how we sing psalms, unaccompanied piano organ. That's up to ourselves. Scripture says that we are not to neglect meeting together for worship. Scripture doesn't say that we meet at 11 a.m. That's up to ourselves. Scripture says that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That is something that we hold dear. So therefore, we reject everything else that says we are saved through our best efforts. I have no time at all for Roman Catholicism. Love Roman Catholics, but not the wild goose chase they've been led on. But at least when Roman Catholicism puts its traditions on an equal barring with Scripture, they're being honest. But we say we don't. We claim to believe Scripture as the sole authority, as the ultimate authority. But do we? Do we truly believe Scripture as the ultimate authority? Is that evident in our culture? Folks, why do you think worship is acceptable to God? Because the prayers do either end or do either use thee or thou? Some people do. Is it because the minister has a bit of white plastic slipped into his collar? Some people think that. On the other extreme, we have some people who think that informality is the great tradition and that a minister is only being authentic if he's wearing a hoodie and trainers. Why are we acceptable to God? Because we're nice? Because we try our best week by week? Because we read the Bible every single day and God owes us one? Folks, our worship is acceptable to God only because we come in the name of Jesus Christ. We are acceptable to God only because Christ died for our sin. Nothing else. Nothing else. Christ Jesus, him preached, him worshipped. That is the measure of a biblical culture of church as we come week by week to hear that we are sinners, that our sins are forgiven, and that Christ deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And that truly nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus alone. What makes us a perfect church? Is it us? Is it what we do? Is it what we try to do? Is it the next event of programs or events or whatever we're doing? 
And when we arrive to worship, do we come to give a criteria marking things out of 10? That's the flip side of the works-based religion. You've come to church, but nobody else is wearing a suit. That's okay. That's none of your business. It's not a date. They're here to worship God. You've come to a church expecting something more informal. Nobody else is wearing trainers. That's okay. They're not here to run a 5K. You've come to church thinking that you're the only one who has actually read Scripture this week. That's okay. It's not a theology degree. This is not an exam. We are here to worship God. And if you think that you deserve to be here because you've had a good week, there is probably someone else here who has had a better week but knows that they need Christ. Folks, does anyone else not just get tired of living a religious life in that manner? The Christian faith, where everything becomes standardized and tested and perfection is the only acceptable thing because that's what we all want in the church. We want, we want, we want. How often do we ever ask, well, what does God want? What does God want in a church? In Jesus' words in Matthew 11, we get that little snapshot of what it is God wants. He wants us to rest in the finished work of Christ. Jesus does not give us an exam tip, a dress code, nothing like that. Instead, Jesus gives us an invitation. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Give you rest. Folks, nothing will break your back like religious expectation. Jesus did not come to give us more laws, regulations, rules to break our backs under and to crush us under religious guilt and stress. So don't you do it to your neighbor. Don't do it to yourself. Don't do it to your husband or your wife, and don't do it to your children. Please. Folks, can you imagine if a transgender person walked through these doors? What do we say? Well, there's really two options. One, you're welcome to Eden Grove. Come and hear the gospel. Or two, you're welcome to Eden Grove, but you're going to have to wear clothing that's appropriate to your sex. If our church's answer to a sinner who is coming to hear the gospel, maybe for the first time, if our response is, you're going to have to change your clothes, that's not a biblical culture at all. It's a stumbling block, and it's out of sync with Scripture. Of course we believe a biblical ethic of uh, sexuality and gender. We're not going to suddenly start marrying gay couples. But we want people to hear the gospel just as they are. And folks, if we are more annoyed at two men dancing together on BBC 
which is no friend of the gospel, than we are with ourselves because we are skipping the Lord's Supper. Well, that tells us something about ourselves and our own culture that is out of sync with Scripture. And if we are more annoyed at the sin of the guy beside us than with the sin in our own hearts, folks, there's something wrong with that culture because it is out of sync with Scripture. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus continues, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That is what disciples do, right? We learn from the Master. And aren't we so thankful that God is so much gentler and lowlier in heart than we are. Even in our worst hour, he doesn't come after us with a hatchet, but with grace. He goes to seek the lost sheep. Folks, there's some professing Christians, to be honest. I think I'd take my chances with a Taliban before I'd uh, cross them. And that's the experience of so many Christians. How do we rest in Christ? What does it mean to rest in Christ? It's a great story that Garnet told me about a thief in Japan who became a Christian. This thief walked into a church and saw the commandments written on a wall. And he read one, Thou shalt not steal. The thief broke down in tears of joy. Why? Because he read, thou shalt not steal, as a promise, not as something he had to do. He found rest because he knew that was something that Jesus had promised to do in him. The good work that Jesus uh, began in him, Jesus will bring to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Takashi, good news, you shall not steal. Takashi believed that Christ would rescue him from his sin, including theft. Is that a shift in how we read the Ten Commandments? He came to Christ and he found rest for his soul, not more burdens to break himself under. Imagine a Hindu hearing, thou shalt not worship false gods. Or a gossip, a gossip which churches are rife with, hearing, thou shalt not bear false witness. Imagine coming to Christ, sin and all, at the end of your tether because you keep failing to live up to the standards of a group of religious folk who only give you more and more things to fail at. A group who expects perfection before you can join the club. Imagine coming out of that and hearing, John, you will find rest for your soul. And imagine, folks, being privileged and honored to be part of building a culture like that in Balnehinch, in Eden Grove. A community of believers that is not centered on looking holy, but because our faith is in Christ, we are holy. Where we are not concerned whatsoever about assimilating people to look like us, to sound like us, to talk like us, to dress like us, 
or to join our little subgroup. You will find rest for your soul in Christ. In Matthew 11.30, Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, what on earth do we think we are doing by placing burdens and yokes on people's shoulders? How about we don't lay down burdens and yokes demanding political affiliation or anything else because people are different? But take Christ at his word and say, when he says, Christ will give them rest from their sin, from the crushing weight of their imperfections, of our imperfections, where these folk too can find rest for their souls. That's the invitation of Christ. Come. Come to Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Be a disciple of Jesus. Because in Christ alone, you will find rest for your souls. Because in Christ, never mind the suits, shoes, whatever. In Christ alone, you are perfect in the eyes of God. And you may not be the perfect son mother, father, student, whatever. You may never get the first-class honours degree or the 2-1 or drive the Maserati or get the holiday home in Port Rush or Portugal. But folks, please know this, that God is with you every day, every day of your life, 2020, 2021, good days, bad days, days that are just boring, boringly ordinary boringly ordinary because all the days of our lives Christ the good shepherd has said that his goodness and his mercy will follow us and we will dwell one day in his house forever that's what we celebrate at Christmas Emmanuel, God is with us even to the end of the age and isn't that worth sharing with people this year before you see the stumbling blocks, the good news. And folks, even more than worth sharing, isn't it worth ourselves believing that, resting in that, and living in that? Especially as we move into 2020. Really is good news. And this morning, folks, we thank God for his good news, and for his promises to us. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you invite us to come just as we are. We thank you that even when we hated you, you still chose us. That from the fountain of your free grace, in love you predestined us for adoption as your children. Lord, may we never be a stumbling block. May we never be a burden. May we never replace the gospel with law. But may we always look to Christ Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.